Hey, ghoul friends, it's me, Adrian, or Aiden. Either way, I am still your host, and you are still listening to Susto, the podcast of ooky, spooky, scary stories. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, good day, good uh, whatever time it is. Good, good, good. How are you all doing? I hope you're well. I hope you're safe. I hope you're healthy. I hope you're happy. I hope you're content, satisfied, all those good things. Sending you all the good vibes as much as I can from this little microphone to your ears. Before we jump into anything, before you decide to skip ahead, I know there's some of you that skip ahead, and I've got my eye on you, Uh, but not an evil eye. Yeah, before we jump into anything, I'm going to ask right away for a big favor. If you can, please uh, take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, however you can interact with the show and the episodes, I would truly greatly appreciate it. Help us navigate the 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 almighty algorithm. I feel like it's become like the algorithm itself, like that's its own entity. Like maybe that'll be an episode of Susto one day in the future where we talk about the algorithm. How do you say algorithm in Spanish? El algoritmo. That's going to be an episode one day. But yeah, if you could please, please do that, I would truly appreciate it from the bottom of my dark spooky heart. If you're new here, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Dust a seat off or the floor or hang upside down from the ceiling, whatever you are most comfortable with. Just thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. And if you've if you're not new here, if you've been here before and you know what's up, thank you so much for coming back. I feel like there's not many updates. The in the last the last round of Sustomel, which is for the month of March, I just sent everything out yesterday or two days ago. Um so you Y'all will be getting your Susto mail soon in a couple of days. But those of you who are best ghoul friends, you uh, are also getting the new and improved and homemade holographic best ghoul friend stickers. And I think they're really cool. It's the planchette Susto design. I've already posted it on social media before. That's at Susto Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I'll probably post it again just as a reminder and to uh, let you all know. And also, I have, I think, maybe three or two more of the Susto Planchette pins, and those are only for best school friends. So if you want one of those pins, along with all the other amazing benefits that Susto offers on patreon.com slash Podcast, you can sign up on there to be a best school friend. You'll get the pin, the exclusive holographic sticker, which there's literally no other way to get that sticker. You get the other goodie stickers. I'm still giving away the Ojo stickers. I think that just might be be part of like the welcome pack is I need to give you protection for the spooky shit that you're going to hear on the show. And I'm still doing Susto masks. I'm just going to keep making those until we don't need them anymore, which probably will be never because I'm even after all this is quote unquote over, you better believe I'm going to be in the airport with my mask on sanitizing my own seat, even though they do that for you, I think. But (laughs) yeah, either way, all these really cool goodies, but the Susto planchette pin is the one goodie that as far as I know, will not come back maybe again in October, but even then, by by October, I'm going to do a different design, I'm fairly certain. So as far as the pins, and that's if I do pins again, who knows what my brain will come up with. So just letting you all know that, plugging that really quick. And if you do have your own spooky story, video, audio, recording, whatever it is, you can send that to me through social medias. You can email it to sustopodcast at gmail.com. You can leave it in a five-star review, which would be great. Or again, you can just leave review because you feel like being nice to me. I really think that's all I I just had to plug those normal things that get plugged and um, I'm literally looking around my office for anything I might need to share with you all. Oh yeah, of course, I my my Etsy, if you haven't checked that out, check out 
Aiden Makes on Etsy. You literally just search Aiden Makes, one word, and it has my little skull and scissors logo with uh, a bunch of stuff that I make, stickers. I started making bookmarkers because I'm learning how to foil. And I'm also available for custom work. So if you have an idea or something that you want to have made into like a sticker, or if you want masks made, I do that vinyl heat pressing stuff. Literally, I have a whole little station in my office. So you just let me know what's up. So I'm going to jump into the story. I will let you know that there is some important context that I'm going to go over after reading the story to you. I think it's important to go over it. You'll hear that if you stick around either way. I just wanted to mention it beforehand. It's not really like included in the story well it's it's not included in the the version of the story that i'm going to tell i'm leaving out part of it but then i'm going to explain it afterwards so just stick around for that we're going to jump in and i'm going to be telling you the story of el viboron One of the first stories I heard when I moved to central New Mexico was a rumor about a group of medical doctors investigating a human sacrifice in one of the communities in the Española Valley. It seemed as if I had just stepped off a train into another time and place, and where people were allowed, to a degree, to live life in a slightly different manner. If the doctors gathered any information from this odd investigation, it never got out to the rest of us. But sometimes, that is the way it is. Information does not reach the ears of curious people who have no real need to know. At any rate, I never heard any more about the subject, at least not until many years later. Over time, I would hear tidbits here and there about this horrible ritual, but nothing witnessed firsthand or in much detail. Stories seem to begin around the turn of the 20th century, but may extend back for centuries in certain areas. It eventually became clear that a large serpent was involved in these human sacrifices. I developed a friendship with someone whose parents lived in the suspected community, and she was very forthcoming with information her mother handed down to her. The serpent was enormous and in perfect health. He was shiny, healthy, fat, and it took at least 10 men to lift him up and move him. An adult human head would easily fit into the snake's mouth, and unhinged, it could easily swallow the rest of the man's body. Only when he was lifted midway up into the air could one observe the snake's powerful muscles that never stopped moving and writhing. It was suddenly easy to see how big and long he really was, about 23 feet in length. He was said to be very old and lived through many generations of people who took care of him. His name was something like El Viboron, or the Viper. His name indicated a fanged and poisonous viper, like a rattlesnake. But these types of snakes just don't grow that big. The overall description of serpent image in the story seems to be more consistent with that of a large boa constrictor from South and Central America. However, the species' assumption of a large constrictor snake only presents another problem. To keep an exotic creature like a boa constrictor or anaconda in this arid and relatively cold New Mexico environment would be close to impossible. The caretaker would have to provide plenty of constant warmth and moisture. 
Could people even keep exotic animals like this alive and healthy back in those days of little or no electricity? Great care was taken not to stress the snake or expose it to any hardship conditions, ensuring its longer than average lifespan. I was shocked to learn that the human to be sacrificed to this huge snake was typically a small child or a baby. Apparently, this was done in order to ensure a good harvest and hunting season for the entire community. I suspect this was a yearly ritual, but I supposed it could have happened more than once a year, or just during lean and hard times. Ritual dates and times were hard to pin down. A few stories exist of other people in the area who have occasionally come across a monster snake. The huge snake's coils are so big that they look like stacked car tires. The stories of this type of encounter are usually painted as a sort of spiritual experience for the person finding the snake. Sometimes, individuals claim the snake turns up unexpectedly in places as common as a dry arroyo. One story reveals that if you let the snake kiss you on the forehead or on the back of the neck, you will become a powerful healer. My friend related a generational story about a ceremony in which a huge snake was brought out. Some of the male members of her family helped carry the reptile. She figured that the last time this was done was probably in the 1930s. During this mysterious, modern-day snake ceremony, a human life was sacrificed to the religious entity. But as I mentioned before, no information was forthcoming, and I never heard of the rites taking place again. If the ceremony is still conducted, the snake and the ceremony has been moved so far back into the locked and hidden corners of the communities that it will never be seen again. That's not to say it didn't happen or does not continue to happen. Perhaps this is an embodiment of the dark side of Quetzalcoatl that has been maintained and cultivated by human individuals who find more power and control over fearful observers than in the benign power and dignity of constructive white magic and belief. The ritual itself may date all the way back to the Emperor Montezuma and Quetzalcoatl, the Feathered Serpent. Stories from this far back are often conflicting, but Kukulkan, probably the same as Quetzalcoatl, was against human sacrifice. Quetzalcoatl always had me wondering what sort of animal it actually was. I have often thought that the Asherlot salamander looked suspiciously like a snake with plumes on its head. This amphibian's only natural habitat is in central Mexico, in Mexico City. Did this creature have something to do with the descriptions of a plumed serpent? Or did another entirely different but related creature exist? Okay, a couple of things. So what I wanted to contextualize before before anybody may go and look at the link that I used for this story, because it's going to be in, in the Google Doc. All the links are going to be in the Google Docs on patreon.com slash podcast, as always, because I misinterpreted this the first time I read it. 
and that, that that's my fault for like not reading with the correct rhythm and honestly for not just like seeing this comma the person who wrote this which is raven deville on voices the santa fe.org they continued and they wrote before the arrival of the spanish guculcan appeared to be a blonde caucasian bearded and he wore a black robe and sandals attracted large masses of followers as he traveled the americas on foot guculcan opened the eyes of the natives and taught them reading writing architecture astronomy mathematics etc and so i i misunderstood it because Kukulkan is a is a deity, and here it says specifically they're a feathered serpent god in the mythology and religion of Mesoamerican cultures, in particular the Yucatec Maya. The Maya they had like advanced mathematics, astronomy. The Mayan calendar is still like extremely accurate, and it kind of like blows people's minds. I misunderstood it because I thought they were referring to Kukulkan as Spanish. <laughs> um, especially because they wrote here that Kukulkan appeared to be a blonde Caucasian, which, again, threw me off because looking up Kukulkan, they say that they are actually a feathered serpent god. <laughs> and so I'm like, why would this feathered serpent god of the Yucatec Maya religion or culture present itself as a white Spaniard. I don't know. It threw me for a loop. And I was like, so is this person saying that like the Spaniards taught the Maya all these things? And I was like, no, that, that kind of annoyed me because I was like, that doesn't make sense. And it's like insulting because they were a like an advanced civilization. You know, they they, they knew this stuff. But yeah, just looking up some more things about it and quick Wikipedia, which I know some people get upset about, but there's a bunch of sources in the bottom. So if anybody is really that mad, then they can cross reference. They can look through these sources and tell me I'm a liar and and I'll accept that. They say that Kukulkan is the name of a Mesoamerican serpent deity. Prior prior to the Spanish conquest of the Yucatan, Kukulkan was worshipped by the Yucatec Maya people of the Yucatan Peninsula in what is now Mexico. The depiction of the feathered serpent is present in other cultures of Mesoamerica. Kukulkan is closely related to the deity Kukumats of the Kicha people and to Quetzalcoatl of Aztec mythology and Quetzalcoatl was one that made that I recognized because Quetzalcoatl is also like a feathered serpent deity and so I'm like wow these are really similar they just have different names this says little is known of the mythology of this pre-Columbian era deity although heavily Mexicanized Gugulcan has its origins among the Maya of the classic period when he was known as Waxaclahun Ubacan the war serpent and he has been identified as the post-classic version of the vision serpent of classic Maya art. The cult of Kukulkan slash Quetzalcoatl was the first Mesoamerican religion to transcend the old classic period linguistic and ethnic divisions. This cult I don't like they're calling I don't like that they're calling them a cult. <laughs> it says this quote unquote cult facilitated communication and peaceful trade among peoples of many different social and ethnic backgrounds. Although the quote unquote cult was originally centered on the ancient city of Chichen Itza in the modern Mexican state of Yucatan, it spread as far as the Guatemalan highlands. In Yucatan, references to the deity Kukulkan are confused by references to a named individual who bore the name of the god. Because of this, the distinction between the two has become blurred. This individual appears 
to have been a ruler or priest of Chichen Itza, who first appeared around the 10th century. Although Kukulkan was mentioned as a historic person by Maya writers of the 16th century, the earlier 9th century texts at Chichen Itza never identified him as a human, and artistic representations depicted him as a vision serpent entwined around the fingers of nobles. At Chichen Itza, Kukulkan is also depicted presiding over sacrifice scenes. Sizable temples to Kukulkan are found at archaeological sites throughout the north of the Yucatan Peninsula, such as Chichen Itza, Uxmal, and Mayapan. I don't see anything about Kukulkan being a blonde Caucasian. So I'm still now I, I'm still confused. <laughs> Lower on this wiki entry, it says modern folklore. Stories are still told about Kukulkan among the modern Yucatec Maya. In one tale, Kukulkan is a boy who was born as a snake. As he grew older, it became obvious that he was the plumed serpent and his sister cared for him in a cave. He grew to such a size that his sister was unable to continue feeding him. So he flew out of his cave and into the sea, causing an earthquake. To let his sister know that he is still alive, Kukulkan causes earth tremors every year in July. Oh my god, is he a cancer? A modern collection of folklore from Yucatan tells how Kukulkan was a winged serpent that flew to the sun and tried to speak to it, but the sun in its pride burnt his tongue. The same source relates how Kukulkan always travels ahead of the Yucatec Maya rain god Chak, helping to predict the rains as his tail moves the winds and sweeps the earth clean. Among the, this is interesting, among the Lacandon Maya of Chiapas, Kukulkan is an evil monstrous snake that is the pet of the sun god. Wow, so this like, this goes in completely different directions. A quick Google search of Quetzalcoatl, they're also referred to as a feathered serpent or plumed serpent and... Quetzalcoatl is the Nahuatl name for the feathered serpent deity of ancient Mesoamerican culture. In Mesoamerican myth, Quetzalcoatl is also a mythical culture hero from whom almost all Mesoamerican peoples claim descent. Yeah, I recognized Quetzalcoatl as one of like the main deities that is still worked with and, and worshipped and praised to this day. One link that I found this on, and this is a list that I've referenced before. It's from Remescla, and it's their 13 terrifying, spooky, and awesome Latin American horror, horror monsters and legends. I had a hard time saying that. The entry that they have for... El Viboron here. They, the El Viboron also goes by Culebron. And here it says that the country of origin is Chile. It says that Culebron is basically an anaconda on super steroids, an enormous hairy snake with a gigantic calf-like head. The creature belongs to the rural countryside of Chile, where it is said to come out at night from dark caves or remote forests and eat basically anything in its path. El Culebron also has a tesoro radar and is said to arrive at the sites of buried treasure 40 days after it's been buried. Anyone wishing to recover the treasure has to douse the ground with aguardiente in the hopes that the snake will get turned off the liquor and let its guard down. It continues, in the same way that El Culebron is attracted to riches, legend also has it that the snake can draw wealth to anyone who is able to domesticate it. But trapping a Culebron is no easy feat. You have to find one in the wild pluck three of its longest hairs without getting eaten, and then pull the hair, put the hairs in a bowl of milk. From that bowl, three baby culebrones will spring to life, and the strongest will eat the other two and become a full-fledged culebron. From that point forward, owners have to maintain the snakes with sacrifices of animals or close relatives, and leave the blood in a secret location that only the snake knows of. Otherwise, no money for you, and you'll probably get eaten. That was, I feel like, 
almost completely different from the story that I told. It seems to all boil down to this idea of like a deity or deity adjacent serpent and its powers, I guess, are different based on who's telling the story. I don't know. It's just, it's kind of hard to track like what is like the, you know, like the main story for this creature. So I, uh, there's also a, a wiki entry that I found for it and it was originally in Spanish and translated to English. So the translation's a little rough and I know some things are off, but one thing from and it's a short entry but one thing in the legend area of it it says likewise rural tradition says that this mythical creature in the same way that it is attracted by wealth also has the magical ability to attract wealth to the person who owns a culebron by granting the owner prosperity in everything he does for this it is pointed out that to domesticate a culebron it is necessary to have previously pulled out three of the longest hairs from the culebron in the wild and then deposit the three hairs in a bowl filled with milk yeah so it's what i just read in domestic class entry i guess one thing I, I was really fixated on was the idea in the story that i read originally was that if you let el viboron kiss you on the forehead or on the back of the neck that you'll become a powerful healer because i i know that i've seen somewhere that kind of connection to quetzalcoatl quetzalcoatl as a snake was a representation of the fertility of the earth and it was subordinate to tlaloc as the cult evolved it became independent in time Quetzalcoatl was mixed with other gods and acquired their attributes. Quetzalcoatl is often associated with Ehecatl, the wind god, and represents the forces of nature, and is also associated with the morning star, Venus. Quetzalcoatl became a representation of the rain, the celestial water, and their associated winds, while Tlaloc would be the god of earthly water, the water in lakes, caverns, and rivers, and also vegetation. Eventually, Quetzalcoatl was transformed into one of the gods of the creation, Ipalnemowani. The Teotihuacan influence took the god to the Mayas who adopted him as Kukulkan. There you go. Uh, I was looking for a connection for that too. The Teotihuacan influence took the god to the Mayas who adopted him as Kukulkan. The Maya regarded him as a being who would transport the gods. It just it amazes me how like everything is tied in together. <laughs> so this makes sense to me. I think I figured out why I was still really hung up on the idea that Kukulkan was being represented as a white Caucasian person. And that didn't make sense to me because Kukulkan is also credited as the deity who taught the maya like mathematics astronomy how to read right all that stuff which is like it that those are things that like they developed for themselves but i i think this kind of clarifies to me why that representation came about so here it says the teotihuacan influence took the god to the mayas who adopted him as kukulkan they're talking about quetzalcoatl so just in the way that like culture works and uh, different cultures and uh, societies meeting and melding and all that. Eventually, the Maya adopted Quetzalcoatl as one of their deities, but they called him Kukulkan. So those are the same thing. Quetzalcoatl and Kukulkan are the same deity. But the Maya regarded him as a being who would transport the gods. In Xochicalco, the political class began to claim that they ruled in the name of Quetzalcoatl and representations of the god became more human. So, originally Quetzalcoatl, also known as Kukulkan, is this feathered serpent, but as time went on, they started to represent them more human-like and less like a feathered serpent, which is originally what they were. So, this deity took on a more human form because of people, 
It goes on to say, they influenced the Toltec and the Toltec rulers began to use the name of Quetzalcoatl. So again, this deity is being shared and passed down from culture to culture. Okay, so then it says, eventually, this deity made its way to the Toltec, which is a, which is a group of people, and they represented the deity Quetzalcoatl, also known as Kukulkan, as a man with godlike attributes. But then what they did is they started giving this god attributes to some of their leaders because they held those people in high regard. It continues, it says, the most famous of those rulers was Topiltzin Seacatl Quetzalcoatl. Seacatl means one reed and is the calendaric name of the ruler whose legends became almost inseparable from accounts of the god. So this ruler... I'm trying to like, I'm I'm talking like this so I can like, it can make sense to my head too. This ruler, which is a real person, lived their life, but they also were had the, the name Quetzalcoatl as part of their name. So stories of this ruler's life were mixed in with stories of this deity. It says, the Toltecs would associate Quetzalcoatl with their own god, who is called Tezcatlipoca, and make them equals enemies and twins. So then the legends of that ruler that I just mentioned, who is the the, the ruler Topiltzin Se'akatl, the legends of that person told us of this real person that he thought that he was ugly, so he let his beard grow out and he wore a white mask. Okay, <laughs> it's making more sense in my head. So then, because the legend of this real person got so intermingled with the actual deity, the legend has been distorted, so representations of the deity, Quetzalcoatl, also known as Kukulkan, as a white-bearded man, have become common. So then the Nahuas would take the legends of Quetzalcoatl and mix them with their own. Quetzalcoatl would be considered the originator of the arts, poetry, and all knowledge. The figure of Se'akat would become inseparable from the image of the god. And that's why Quetzalcoatl, also known as Kukulkan, is sometimes represented or remembered as a white Caucasian person because of everything I just said. I'm not going <laughs> to review it again. I feel like I've gone through it five times, but oh my god, that is okay. This page 100% is going in the Google Docs. God, I feel like that was, what a ride. What a ride. That was, that really just like blew my mind. <laughs> I, um, you know what? Hats off to people like who are actual researchers and like people who study this and document it. Like, hats off to them. They're doing amazing work because I just patched these little bits and pieces of information that was like so readily available to me on the internet and I feel like a genius. Like I I am, I'm an archaeologist. I'm an anthropologist. You can't tell me anything. I'm so smart. Oh my god, big brain, big wrinkly brain. I'm so smart. It the mental gymnastics, you all, if this that all of that that just happened in the the context part of the episode, that I'm going to have a field day editing all of that. And I wish that you could have seen how much I struggled <laughs> to make that make sense to me and hopefully it makes sense to you. Oh my god, it's going to sound I'm sure it's going to sound great once I edit it down, but just I wish you could have seen the struggle that I just had trying to make that make sense to me. 
and then hopefully it translates over to you. But you know what? If it doesn't, you can visit the pages, especially that last page on the uh, Susto Google Docs, patreon.com slash podcast, and you can have the links to all of that and break it down for yourself. But wow, isn't that, that's so amazing. I'm literally just like mind blown. Like Quetzalcoatl, who would later be known as Kukulkan, was, was passed from culture to culture and eventually made its way to one specific culture that would give deities attributes of their leaders and vice versa. And because of that, one of their better known leaders, his life stories get confused with the deity stories, but that actual leader for some reason didn't like their face and thought they were ugly. So they grew a beard and wore a white mask. But then because of how conflated their lives were with the deity, the deity would later be remembered as a human-like figure who is a white person. I knew it. I knew it deep in my heart that that didn't make sense when I initially read that. Oh my god. Okay, I'm not gonna go through all of that again. <laughs> but thank you so much for listening. <laughs> oh my god, that was so much work for my little brain. And that's because I swore this was gonna be an easy episode. When I first found the story, I was like, oh yeah, this is so simple. Little did I know the context is where I would literally have to like maze my way out of it. Wow. You know what? I hope you liked it. And if you liked it, Please like, subscribe, rate, review, share the episode, the show as much as you can. If you really, really like it and you want some extra perks and benefits, you can sign up to be a ghoul friend, a best ghoul friend, or just part of the Sustal fam on patreon.com slash Podcast. Follow me on all the social medias at Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter so that you can get any and all updates on the show. If you have your own scary story, recording, audio, video, picture, whatever it is, send it to me on the social medias, leave it in a review or email it to sustopodcast at gmail.com. Check out my Etsy, Aiden Makes, all one word, on Etsy.com. And yeah, just, I literally, my brain is mush now. I, I, I don't even know what to tell you all. But I will, I will talk to you later. <laughs> and watch out for snakes. Bye. <laughs>